Welcome to the No Clip Awards. I'm going to be your host for the evening, Chad Rutherman. I'm supporting actor J.J. Artimez. And I'm Eddie Kinnick. And today, uh, let me give a little bit of a rundown as to what we're going to be doing. So uh, if you've been following the podcast for a while, you're probably aware that at the end of each year, we do sort of a, a cap off for the year. And uh, the first year was like a best games like, our favorite games of the year. The second year is more of sort of like a free-form discussion, just talking about things in games generally. Uh, and in the spirit of just continually doing new and dumber things mm-hmm. as time goes on, mm-hmm. uh, we have in front of me in these envelopes... <laughs> <laughs> yep, they're real. Uh, <laughs> a selection of categories that we're going to be reading off as... Prompts, I guess, Indeed. is a good way to, to think about it. Not just any categories. This is a hand curated collection of categories. It is many man hours were spent in the construction of these, we believe, the most comprehensive of important video game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all important facts about the year 2018 in gaming are contained among this list and now we are imparting that that enormous knowledge to you keep in mind also that it's the important moments in gaming that we've talked about (laughs) only games from this year yeah Mm -hmm. so the rules are what is it 15 categories yep one uh nomination per member per category and then we will decide whether one comes out as a clear winner or as if they're all winners in our <laughs> eyes. Yeah, Let us this... know down in the comments how wrong we are. <laughs> <laughs> none of this bullshit with like, you know, like Golden Globes, Academy Awards, where all the discussions in the back room. No, you're going to hear every delicious second of our <laughs> debates and deliberations. Yeah, we're, we're outside of the corporate Hollywood structure. <laughs> and... Uh, Let's jump into the first category. Our first category for the evening, uh, which it is the evening, that's important. Uh, <laughs> all good award shows hosted at night. True. Um, is going to be for best supporting actor. Mm. I fucked up already. With the, <laughs> I thought you said you had a letter of. I do, but I left it outside. We'll grab it after this one. Because <laughs> it's too late for this one, all right? It is. We'll get the is. other one. You're correct. So mm. Andy nominates... Trico from The Last Guardian. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> JJ's nomination is for Matthew Mercer from Monster Hunter World. <laughs> which <laughs> okay. I don't remember the character's name either. Doesn't so matter, I'll yeah. give you that. That's a good argument against it. <laughs> and uh, Ryuji Sakamoto from Chad. Oh. And no one was surprised. Yeah, yes. no one's surprised. You can suck a bunch of balls, but I immediately changed my answer. Trico is way better than what I said. I like <laughs> Matthew Mercer, but not that much. Not as much as a dog. Okay, my argument for it not being Trico. Uh, yes. Because I feel like my arguments for Ryuji sort of stand self-aware. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, is that Trico is less of a character and more of a tool for a lot of the game? That, you that's, monster. That's speaking strictly mechanically. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he is definitely 
a supporting character. Like, I thought the strongest argument against it is he's kind of the main character, but mm-hmm. you didn't say that. No, I didn't. Ha-ha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you for giving um, me an additional... But I, I think he is firmly a su- supporting character to the boy. Uh, and Pretty literally, also. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he really does steal the show. The game, he is the game, really. Indeed. And I think that really lifts him up into the... Uh, the firm winner category for the, me. The echelon. This category. I think that in, in this situation, I have just been outvoted because you immediately <laughs> changed your answer when you heard Trico. I did. Trico was way I'll, better I'll, than I'll Matt let Mercer. You make your point. But I think the reason. Okay, first of all, you can't take Trico out for uh, beef bowls, which is already a strike in his cat in, against him. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just think uh, Ryuji being like the first character that you meet in Persona 5 mm-hmm. and one who persists through the entire game, like if you choose to, which mm-hmm. obviously it's Ryuji. <laughs> uh, like he, he becomes like kind of the grounding point. So if you like don't identify with the faceless protagonist, mm-hmm. you can identify with Ryuji and carry him through as sort of like this is the person that I actually do really care about in this game. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he had one of the confidant relationships that is the least, um, like, linear, I guess. It is linear, but it's not as, like, predictable. I would agree that Ryuji is a very well-realized character and definitely a standout, but I think him being introduced so early in the game, you'll reach his confidant level really quickly and then put him and in then a box. kind of yeah. forget about him <laughs> and also like he has he's competing with an ensemble cast and while he is easily i think no matter who you are one of like the top three bests mm-hmm. uh he does kind of get uh he doesn't stand out quite as much amongst all the competition like all jrpg protagonist ryuji or character is not just protagonist yeah ryuji is the illusion of a friend. <laughs> Ryuji is like a well-constructed facade of someone you care about. And if you if you dig down deep enough, you'll see that the branching narrative paths, the pre-written dialogue, you, de- you dig down in Trico, you get a fucking complicated AI system of, of a dog <laughs> creature. You could plug Trico into other games and he'll behave kind of like Trico as long as he's still on... The proprietary servers. Trico can be moved. <laughs> uh, the aforementioned in our last Guardian episode, that like dog mega network <laughs> that right. controls Trico. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Trico has a reality to it that Ryuji cannot approximate, and and thus his presence lives on even beyond the game in which he was present within. Well said. I've given my dissent. <laughs> I think uh, we can officially hand the award. <laughs> to or paw the award <laughs> to Trico. More like claw. He's got claw. He does yeah. have claws. We're weird oh. we're weird handing it. Yeah. Can I specify that Trico is a griffin? I feel like uh, we say dog all the time. Yeah. No, well, not not us. Like literally, everyone I've ever heard talk about the game refers to him as like a weird cat dog creature. Mm-hmm. He's a griffin. He has feathers. Yes, he like, has feathers. He's yeah. like but not I just, a cat at all. I don't know if people are just making jokes or they don't realize that. So I just want to put it out there. No, right. griffins in the are world. like a piece of popular culture well, that are slowly like drifting into the background. Yeah, I have noticed this. 
But I mean, he's like he's like a baby Griffin. He's clearly like young. Agreed. So he doesn't look. He's not quite. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. And he's also clearly modeled after a dog. <laughs> this is exactly what we were afraid was going to happen. <laughs> Moving to the next category. All right. Let's get rid of this Somebody get the letter opener also. Oh, yeah. I can get the letter opener. You're the one who knows where it is. What is our second category, JJ? Our second category of the evening is least shitty arrow. Least shitty arrow. And I guess to specify on this one, that's like quest arrow. In a game, so like a something like an arrow that points you towards where you're supposed to go. Right, right. that's interesting. That's and, interesting. Uh, well, yeah, and inter- and also just as like a little bit of background information, the whole reason we're doing this mm-hmm. is because of this category. Mm-hmm. Because I joked about it on the very first episode of the year. True. Now then, our contenders, our first contender, Mirror's Edge, a very extremely high quality and high fidelity arrow. The Last Guardian, The Living Arrow, The Majora's Mask 3DS Bow, An Actual Arrow. <laughs> it very, very well done, in my opinion. Discuss. Uh, okay, so it, we went through all of that to uh, identify who it was without saying it. Uh-huh. My, mine is for, is for Trico of The Last Guardian because... As we j- literally just talked about, it's weird that we started off with double Trico <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> discussion. Yeah. Trico does a great job of being an arrow because he's always present, but he's not always an arrow. Like, sometimes you're doing some other shit and Trico's around, he's helping you solve puzzles, and like you're thinking about what to do and you know what to do and you're telling him what to do. But then other times you don't know what you're doing and Trico's looking up at like some ledge and you're like, oh. Of course, the ledge. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I thought of that and not my <laughs> dumb dog AI. Oh, good. Yeah, well, my um, pick for Mirror's Edge is I think the runner vision is a very well done and like subtle way to tell the player where to go with just visual information. Mm-hmm. And it's not perfect, but I think it's definitely like on the right track to like the uh, quote like quotes ideal solution to the problem uh and it and i think it's better than something like what naughty dog does where they just like put yellow stuff or like you know like uh like ledges and things that kind of are immersion breaking like agreed the runner vision is a tool that you have that you can use and it's nicely contextualized by the game like it just it fits really well it feels um natural i feel like while discussing this assuming we throw out the qualities inherent to literal arrows that are launched from bows that are really well done with like gyroscope controls in the 3ds yeah ignoring that if we're talking about like directional agency and imparting that into players in a way that feels natural but still guarantees the outcome we're talking about a spectrum here and at one end of the spectrum is going to be like a highly mechanics focused version of that arrow in the old days literal arrows on the screen uh and that mirror's edge is a lot closer to and a very good version of if it's mechanics first like you're never going to be confused in mirror's edge unless you're blind or dumb but in the last guardian like 
there is no arrow, like they have succeeded from a narrativist perspective on the other end of the scale to completely obscure the arrow and build the arrow into the world in such a perfect way that you don't recognize it as an arrow unless you like go back with a fine tooth comb over the game. And the, and the Last of Us's like yellow ledges and shit is again, still a very good version of this on the spectrum, but like the bad middle point directly between, I think those two ends. And I would never yeah. pick that one or the other. Yeah. I was thinking the exact same thing, so good job, JJ, on saying what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. uh, I think I'm willing to concede Chad here, because I think I thought of The Last Guardian and then forgot about it as mm -hmm. an option for this. I will also concede to Chad, uh, considering that I don't think I can convince any of you guys to change the entire category to be about <laughs> arrows. <laughs> also, I thought we discussed this idea enough that you knew what we were talking about. I didn't consider I what a problem this might have been, because it is not very clear. <laughs> Because I feel like we've been joking about that category for, like, the entire year. It may have been intentional, Andy. It may have. You never know with JJ. And our victor is assured, and our garbage goes in the garbage pile. Hold on, I'll put them back in the envelope. Oh, Jesus. And then I will put it <laughs> in the garbage pile. All right, hand me that next envelope. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I also wanted to shout out the honorable mention that didn't get voted for. Uh, in that one, which is the Fury from uh, Hellblade. Also a, a pretty decent era. And if you want to go pure mechanical efficiency, the Scout Flies from Monster Hunter World are pretty good, too. It's actually a pretty deep category. I think it should be added to all gaming award shows. Yeah, that, that, that's why, that's what there were this whole, yeah. the genesis of this whole episode came from. So. We wouldn't do this just so that we could dress up in suits and drink wine and make a joke of it. We do this <laughs> only to improve your gaming knowledge. All right, Andy, what's the category this time? The category is game least likely to be compared to Dark Souls. Like we said, not making any jokes. <laughs> yes. We all know that here on the No Clip Podcast, it is very hard not to compare games to Dark Souls. So. These are our choices. The nominees are West of Loathing, WarioWare, and No Man's Sky. Ooh. This is a much more varied. This one, I feel like there's some meaty discussion to be had. Agreed. Yeah, so I voted for or nominated WarioWare because I felt like if a game could be described as difficult or obtuse in any way, <laughs> sure, you could make an argument that it's somewhat like Dark Souls, and I think WarioWare is not. It's very straightforward, easy to understand, it is short- uh, it bites like it's. I feel like it's the opposite of Dark Souls in every way. Dark Souls is slow. WarioWare is fast. Yeah. Dark Souls has uh, an unclear plot. WarioWare has no plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had considered <laughs> these all three of these for this category beforehand, and I believe the difference that sets West of Loathing apart is that both of the other contenders here, WarioWare and No Man's Sky, can be said to have some approximation of a fail state. Like there's something happen that will happen that will make you lose. But in West of Loathing, 
even your losses are like still contextualized in the game. It's just like another narrative branch that Ooh, keeps that going. That sounds a lot like Dark Souls. It, like in Dark Souls, there's like a bonfire <laughs> system. So when you die, you kind of just go back to a certain location, like the Dirt Water Inn. Yeah, and also there's a necromancer <laughs> and skeletons. Oh, fuck, there's skeletons. It's also an RPG. I, in, ad I admit defeat, there's skeletons. <laughs> in fairness, I also considered West, West of Loathing, and the, the thing that actually put me off of it uh, had to do with the fact is actually the way the narrative unfolds because you also will just like find stuff and go like this is some interesting stuff but it's like you don't know what it's about until like much later when you run into something right environmental storytelling another nail in this coffin yeah burn it burn i also of thought loving. of both of these and yeah my argument against i've already made a lot of them but also it's an rpg uh, which makes it very similar to Dark Souls. Mm -hmm. And with No Man's Sky, there's also the theme of isolation, very similar to Dark Souls. Extremely, yeah. Uh, I, I feel I, I really feel <laughs> WarioWare, yeah. man. Uh, okay, so... Try well, it, compare WarioWare <laughs> to Dark Souls right now. I challenge you. <laughs> well, I don't know the onus is on the defense here. Mm -hmm. You've presented your argument. I think that No Man's Sky is unlike Dark Souls mostly because the game having no venerable goal uh, <laughs> that you're like being set out for. Uh -huh. There's a lot of exploration like in Dark Souls, but I think exploration to me is what is the heart and soul of Dark Souls. Mm -hmm. I think that getting learning an area and becoming proficient enough to to really master the area and understand it is really important whereas no man's sky's exploration is really aimless and it has no discernible real purpose other than to just collect resources that you then expend oh absolutely. that might be how dark souls makes one feel though the, nah, mm, I disagree. I think <laughs> up I think until Chad's the resources here. <laughs> yeah, you you in Dark Souls, you understand a zone inside and out to be able to get through it and navigate it. In No Man's Sky, you do whatever you want, and almost nothing ever stops you, and you don't care where you are, and you explore nothing and just leave and go to a different place. And nothing is you thorough. You can't really learn anything because the environments are all way too huge to learn mm -hmm. and randomly generated, so there's no like blueprint to check online. Indeed. I will take your challenge right now. Mm -hmm. I believe WarioWare shares a base level mechanical similarity with Dark Souls in that timing is a crucial element at all points of the game. But it's not precise timing. It's, it's always precise. It's always different and random. I mean, the timing is different, but in most of the games require you to hit the air bu A button at a very proper moment that you can predict. And just like in Dark Souls, you're expected to adapt to new situations as they arise. Like mm -hmm. new bosses come in and new moves, new crazy shit that you've got to dodge out of the way of at the exact proper moment. And that feels like a WarioWare situation to me. Whereas nothing in No Man's Sky feels like a Dark Souls situation. So my goal uh, in my description was to provide a compelling argument to make you think, how are these games like Dark Souls? 100% <laughs> WarioWare gets the win. Uh, <laughs> I think No Man's Sky, isolationism, uh, the, the fact that No Man's Sky is actually kind of a difficult game, the atmosphere can look like Dark Souls if the random <laughs> rolls are correct. Like, 
I think that No Man's Sky has enough in common with Dark Souls to categorize. It also has combat. Also has, has regular combat. It does contextualize your deaths as well. Yeah, it does. It even has corpse running yep. the way that Dark Souls does as well. So I uh, think that yep. there's, there's enough there. And there's lore. That WarioWare is definitely <laughs> the, the, the winner out of these three. Okay, I am sold. Unanimous WarioWare. More than literally any other category that we have here, mm-hmm. this is the one I would most want to hear people talk about. Like, <laughs> If somebody like wrote an essay about why like Hellblade is nothing like Dark Souls, <laughs> I would fucking I would love to read that. Like that would be very amusing to me. All Absolutely. Right, What's our next category? All right, the next category um, is another one that uh, is kind of a I dropped it on the ground type <laughs> category. Oh, this is like a classic Oscar goofs moment. It is. <laughs> uh, but so the way that this category is going to work out is going to be a little bit uh interesting say it this is smashiest balls <laughs> uh and your interpretation of smashiest balls can really be whatever you want it to be mm-hmm. uh so i have the contenders in my hand right now we have man i can't wait to uh hear how these are justified let's start with this one the Smash Ball. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretty good one, I would say. Null hypothesis of smashiest balls. <laughs> what remains of Edith Finch? <laughs> so yours, yours would actually be Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. I think people inherently would understand. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you don't know what the Smash Ball is, you're not a gamer and you don't deserve to be here. Exactly. And yes. <laughs> and my nomination is for Near Automata. Mm-hmm. Uh, Describe the balls within your games. Okay, obviously Smash Walter has the smashiest balls because they got smashed by a train. <laughs> they did get smashed by a train, and they in in but in so much him. so that we named him Smash Walter. You don't know that it was the balls that were smashed. He got hit f- full on by a train. <laughs> His balls were smashed. It, Everything it was smashed. It could have gone between the tracks. D- did that train? JJ, you know they were the smashiest. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear the case for Nier Automata. Okay. Which, which balls? Are these balls that deserve smashing? Because I can think of that. Nier Automata has. I th- my answer is going to be a little bit more out there. I think. Uh-huh. So my. First instinct was to say the the balls that the enemies shoot at you. Yes. Because they're very satisfying to smash. Because once you smash them, you can then weave a path in and execute a sweet combo. Uh-huh. But <laughs> I was wrong, even in my own category. Ooh. Because the smashiest balls in video, maybe in video game history, is 9S's manhood. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did consider 9S's manhood uh, for this category and decided to go the safer route of the smash ball, a ball that you smash. smash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, See, I feel like 9S is comfortable enough in his manhood that his balls are not as smashed as you might The expect. defining feature of that narrative is that 9S is comfortable with nothing. <laughs> He's uncomfortable know. constantly. And not only that, but like but, main villains of the game specifically call out how much of like a lap dog he is to mm-hmm. to be. How full his balls are with things <laughs> that he cannot excrete. Yeah. Yes. He's got those he doesn't even probably have balls. And yet no. they're metaphysically the smashiest balls. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> I yeah, I'm really Okay, do you accept 
metaphysical balls as an acceptable category part of this <laughs> yes i do too good okay so it's on the table do both of you believe that these balls rise above the smash ball for smashiest and ballhood yes why uh the smash ball is the boring easy answer <laughs> like all null hypothesis. we also always turn the smash ball off so we don't smash it very much oh that's a good point uh, final smashes post the smash ball smashy though it is uh the the following thing is usually met with a lot of groans which now that i'm thinking about it so does smashing a lot of balls usually followed by groans so i'm kind of torn now uh i'm not backing down on mine okay whose balls are more smashed a child who has to live in childhood perpetually for the remainder of existence because he lost the woman he loved who he felt like he owned unjustifiably or uh, literal balls that are run over by a train. <laughs> it's close, right? It's very close. I feel like if I was in, if I was like an NPC in Nier Automata, I would describe what happened to 9S as his balls being hit by a train. <laughs> He does get to go to the moon in the end. It gets to be uploaded to that database. That's almost kind of like a, 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 nice a make-a-wish situation yeah. now. He gets what he wants. Yeah. Smash Walter did not get did what not. he wanted. Well, he said even... Uh, no, he didn't even get one day. No. Like he, he said he, he wanted He got to like have. five seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Before his balls were smashed by the train. <laughs> He lived in a cellar for what, like twenty years. That's pretty non-masculine of a thing to yeah, do. And yeah, and then he got hit by a train. <laughs> Balls first. If uh, if we had actually assigned point values to these based on how long I thought we would talk about them, <laughs> this one would be on the lower end. <laughs> I'm going to give it to the Smash Ball because it has Smash and Ball in its name. Fuck that. You are a coward. Even I have been convinced. I I vote Smash Walter. For the Smash, Smash Walter! <laughs> All right, Smash Walter wins. Li- literal smashing works better. Mm-hmm. It's, no, it's the combination of literal and metaphysical smashing that took place here. That really changed my mind. Next category. <laughs> Having a little... Trouble with the envelope here. Uh, not the envelope, with the, with the fucking sword that no. we have with us to open the envelopes. Oh, did we not mention that? Oh, dear podcast listener, we have a sword. We're better that, than your award show. I got that sword at a museum in London, England, like 10 years ago. A good purchase it was. Um, this category is best episode title. This one I feel like might be a little contentious, but I think we'll all be happy at the end. I, I do. I think this has been a joyous occasion for all involved. Categories. Nominated by Andy. The Eternal Darkness episode title, which was... Trapper's Keep. Whew. Right, Chad. The Hellblade Sasuna's Sacrifice episode title, which was... We're here for the lies. Okay. For me... I forget already what game was associated with this episode, but it is <laughs> in the Jello, but on the vine. It's Mirror's Edge. Thank you. Yes. I, I was uncertain. I'm hopeful. I'm actually pretty amused by this because my prediction was that every single episode title would be chosen by the person who spoke it. Mm-hmm. But in fact, 
Two of us went with something JJ said, and I bet JJ doesn't know who didn't. I do not. That That is a key feature of my personality is that I can't remember the things that I say, which makes me a great podcast host. Right. Uh, I feel like In the Jello but On the Vine is a little bit too wordy of a title, and the moment that it corresponds with is a little too rambly and goes on a little too long. Oof. A knife in my back, just a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But I feel the reason why I nominated In the Jello but On the Vine is because it is one of the best examples for what I have been trying to do with our episode titles for a very long time, which is turn them into, like, jazz concept album title covers. <laughs> like, I want them to be interchangeable where you read it and there's, like, a moment of, like, whoa, things are going to get real weird mm. yeah and, and they did yeah it was a harbinger of things to come if you read that episode title and then listened to that episode mm-hmm. i think that one's maybe a little bit too abstract i agree i mean obviously we all chose different things mm-hmm. uh in the jello is not one of my top favorites but i do really enjoy it but mm-hmm. i enjoy most of what we put up so Indeed. right we did agree on all of these titles in some in some way i believe but a Trapper's Keep, though. Yeah. It might not appear flashy at first, but it's pretty clever play on words. Uh, and it has a funny mommy, a moment, mommy, uh, <laughs> moment associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, I can't wait for the category best mommy of the <laughs> yes, year. Yes, best mommy of the year. Up and coming. Yes, podcast listener. This is the We Explain the Joke to You section <laughs> we've chosen this our is, award show. This is almost the Let's Explain the Joke category, so yeah, let's, let's wait to explain it. Trapper's Keep, I just, going through them, I had it narrowed down to like a top three and thought that was out of context, the actual funniest joke, mm. which is how I picked it. I see. Chad, defend yourself. Uh, I liked We're Here for the Lies because not only is it like amusing just in concept, mm-hmm. like someone who just only shows up to not hear the truth, mm-hmm. but it's such an accurate description of why we go to video games. It's like we're not here to hear the harsh realities of life <laughs> most of the time. Mm-hmm. We're here because we want to hear a weird story about somebody literally going to hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always found this one speaks to me as being one of my favorite episode titles. Maybe not as funny. Mm-hmm. A little bit funny, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. But it, meaningful. It definitely fits the game it belongs to. Yes. It is also a snappy title, which is two two of my criteria two when for picking two on episode that. titles. But... I don't find it particularly memorable or funny, which is also carry a lot of weight for me as well. Yes. If I wanted our episode titles to convey that, like, if you go behind the scenes, there'll be, like, this deep philosophical discussion of, like, video games and their content, I would put that discussion behind the episode title instead of, like, weird jokes about sausages and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I I feel if if I want my video game philosophy, like, I'll go read Hume, noted video game star scholar david hume uh and instead i'll keep the like you know the real gamer centric content like the non-philosophical content for gamers a few steps a few steps down right from there away. yeah i need jokes and uh, i need confusion <laughs> uh and i do believe trappers keep quality joke definitely creates confusion which is one of my one of my categories well, I think you want to go so for. if you promise me say Five dollars. I will absolutely <laughs> switch my switch my vote 
right now, Andy Kenick. All right, I'll give you five bucks. All right, great. Surprised cool. no one picked In Shape, Anime, Grandpa, or Jokes About Rome, which were my runners-up. Jokes About Rome, also my runners-up. Same, on mine as well. All right. Yeah. All right the winner, actually, <laughs> Jokes About <laughs> Rome. All right. Yeah, yeah. Good work. <laughs> Not even nominated. <laughs> Still it wins. wins. <laughs> Jokes about Rome. It's a regular Marissa Tomei. <laughs> the fuck is that? <laughs> There's a conspiracy about the Oscars where she won Best Actress for um, My Cousin Vinny. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was nominated, but uh, the conspiracy is that whoever like opened the envelope and read the name either couldn't pronounce the name that was written there or just like had a brain fart or something and just said Marissa Tomei and she got the Oscar. Uh, so it's a very popular conspiracy theory. You're right. ripping oh. it before you say the category, uh, Andy. We all Oops. do this. <laughs> this category is best cereal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very important to us here at the No Clip Podcast. Mm-hmm. I keep a, bo- a box of cereal in my room at all times. If we ever and that's run... somehow not a joke. <laughs> yep. If we ever run out of games to talk about, we're going to become a cereal podcast. Yes, we we're not the podcast cereal. That's important. <laughs> no, all right. right. With and a C. The nominees are Cinnamoons. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Cracklin' Oat Bran. Ooh. Also a good one. And what did you write, JJ? I wrote... Lucky Luck- Charms with... Frosted Flakes. Frosted Flakes. Lucky, Lucky Charms with... with Frosted Flakes. I don't even know what the fuck that is. That's, so that's two right cereals out. that you combine to make the best cereal. Okay. I No. No? And, and I'll take the opener here to plead my case, because I imagine you lot will... You, Heathens will need familiarity. This received some very niche coverage within the gaming press. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was that Nick guy who was known for all the sexual harassment that he did. Right. Quality, yes. quality investigation into the cereal he produced, uh, in which Lucky Charms literally made a box that was Lucky Charms with Frosted Flakes, in which there is like Frosted Flakes and like, then like, also in it and marshmallows in it. Yeah, it's the okay. cereal, right? Like, okay, idea for a cereal that is not the genius of this move. The genius of this move is that Frosted Flakes and Lucky Charms are made by two different cereal companies. Uh, we got a General Mills post situation Correct. Happening. Yeah. And Frosted Flakes is too, like, out, it's too broad of a name to trademark. So they didn't use the font and they don't own literal Frosted Flakes, but they just literally copied the name and components of Frosted Flakes, <laughs> built them into, like, the, the framework of Lucky Charms, and stole... I, I imagine like 80% of all people who bought that cereal thought it was a legitimate crossover and not like one of the best executed cereal lies I have seen in okay. all of my long years. While that is very interesting. I'm and fascinated. the idea of a cereal crossover is a thing I never knew that I wanted, but I definitely do. It's got nothing to do with our podcast. <laughs> it is right out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So which is better, Cinnamoons or Cracklin' Oat Bran? Well, I think Cinnamoons wins if you're narrowing it down to these two. And the reason why is because Cracklin' Oat Bran is specifically a bad cereal. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. And this is actually from a game that we played. But Mm -hmm. not this year. Exactly. This is what I was going to use. So many strikes. Actually, all three of our answers should be disqualified outright. This Uh is from this year, though, Cracklin' Oat Bran. No, it's not. No, it's not. Nope, never mind. Yeah, Cracklin' Oat Bran is actually from the year. 
year 1693. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're right. It is strange in ancient cereal. Yeah. yeah, which 1693 is actually not old enough because we compared it to the blocks that the Mayans used <laughs> yes. to build structures and their and their coinage. I remember specifically oh, yeah. talking right. about that. Should we currency. give this to the real winner? We, we should. Super Mario Brothers cereal. <laughs> no one understood that. It was a giant block of sound. Oh wow, yeah, that's good. I mean, Super okay. Mario Brothers cereal. Best cereal talked about this year on our podcast. Yes, quality cereal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and you love <laughs> The synergy on that was outstanding. It was mm-hmm. not right. on the Super Mario cereal part. This is one of my favorite categories. Read Be- it first. Because of my answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited to, to read this out. Uh-huh. Uh, this is Moment of the Year, uh, which is... This one's a little bit different. Okay. Uh, this is the moment in video games this year. Not necessarily, or potentially even specifically, not to do with our podcast. Mm-hmm. So our favorite thing that happened this year, and the nominees mm-hmm. are... Beating the Radiance in Hollow Knight... Which does have to do with our podcast, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah, thanks, I'm not Jeff. disqualifying it. Uh, the Joker reveal in Super Smash Brothers. Ooh. Oh, fuck. Uh, that was, so that's uh, JJ with Beating the Radiance and Andy with Joker's reveal. And then my choice is watching pro players react to the Piranha Plant <laughs> reveal, <laughs> which is a bit wordier. I now feel like a little foolish for mm-hmm. how long that answer is. It, you should not. It is, a, it is a quality piece of information to peddle on this podcast. Uh, also, very notable how much Smash Brothers really dominated the media cycle this year. Two of the of the greatest moments, and I did take this into account. This was not a, an error on my part. Right. I thought about all the time that I spent with gaming this year, and it really was like the four continuous hours that I spent like sweaty and shirtless <laughs> in my room <laughs> trying to beat the radiance that stuck out that stood out to me in retrospect. Uh, but my memory is shitty, and it requires enormous physical pain for me to remember things for mm. a long period of time. So I will admit my bias here. Your your candidates are worthy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I also want to give a little bit of credibility to beating the Radiance as a good choice because I could not do it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I had beaten it, I would feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tried for about three hours and was not victorious. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the smashiest balls winner goes to us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jan and Andy. Who were, who were stomped by the Radiance. Mm-hmm. But uh, I specifically went with the Joker reveal, which was like a clear winner for me because of how it related to the podcast mm-hmm. and we just talked about Persona 5 and we're playing the Italian job <laughs> in the living room and Chad saw on Twitter that they announced Joker. But bonus points go to this moment because it got us to stop playing the Italian job, <laughs> <laughs> which is a good moment in any book. Yes. Also, not an error. Playing the Italian job, the, the PlayStation 1 game, the Italian job. That, yeah. that was contender for moment of the year for me. I, but yeah. uh, the specifically the way that it was revealed is awesome. Mm-hmm. True. That it was just during the Game Awards, which no one really cares about, let's be real. Mm-hmm. And they're in like the middle. Everyone cares about the Noclip. <laughs> yeah, That's everyone why cares here. about the Noclip Awards, yeah. obviously. Um, but the like mid-sentence of whoever's hosting or whatever, lights cut. And the red screen comes up, and they do this whole—it's whole animated and voice acted sequence of Joker stealing the invitation to Smash Brothers, 
out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's a Sony exclusive franchise. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane and yeah. it's very good. And I had to watch it like four times before it sank in that it was real. Wonderful. I think Andy has done the job here for me. I think between your two categories, there is almost no way you're going to get me off of Joker reveal for Smash Brothers for two reasons. Okay. First, because I feel like the Joker reveal... Parental Plant Reveal feels like a Wii Fit trainer levels of nonsense. Like, it's within the Mario universe, but it's highly unexpected and was revealed within the channels you would expect a Smash character to be revealed. Mm -hmm. And the Joker reveal went up to that on two different levels. And further, I recognize this is not just about the reveal. This is about the the pro player reaction. Yes. Uh, And so unless you can provide more context here, my concern is that pro players will react strongly, positively, or negatively to everything because they are insulated socially from the people who are around them and do ridiculous, stupid things constantly in, like, one-off. There's, like, there's like a bell curve of all possible reactions that you can see when you look at pro players, and the, those ends get real thick over there, real thick ends. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear all of your arguments. Yes. And uh, I, I have prepared... I had it. I, ri- I wrote it out as a couple pages, so I decided to cut back on it a bit. Thank you. Uh, it was funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> what did they do, Chad? Paint. Uh, I'll give you a chance. It wasn't for me. It was really the world surrounding the Piranha Plant reveal that sold it for me. That made it like, like above and beyond things people on Twitch do just to garner viewers as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And that is the the existence of the Grinch leak. Being just demolished literally minutes before this happened. (laughs) So everyone was like all up in arms like this thing seems really real. We might be getting fucking like Banjo-Kazooie and Isaac and Mock Rider and the Chorus Kids and Smash Brothers. And we're all very excited about it. And I can't wait to find out if this is real. It turns out it's not real. And then almost as if to throw salt in the wound. (laughs) A fucking piranha plant. And keep in mind, with all of this is more their reaction than mine. Yes. Because the only one of those characters I really cared about was Banjo-Kazooie, mm-hmm. and I love Piranha Plant as a thing. Mm-hmm. So watching people being just, like, morally destroyed. <laughs> it, it, what, listening to you describe that, it sounds more like your moment of the year was the Grinch leak. It isn't, though, because I didn't care when it got, like, busted or when it released as much. It mm-hmm. was more just, like... This is interesting. This is something to follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I was happy about the Piranha Plant thing, but so many people were so unhappy about the <laughs> Piranha Plant thing mm-hmm. that to me, that really, like, there was a collective energy in the Smash community mm-hmm. when the Piranha Plant, when Piranha Plant fucking just smacked Mario <laughs> in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that, was a, that was a proverbial slap in the face to everyone who, who had been following the Smash leaks up until that point. Chad, if I wanted to watch emotional children get angry on YouTube, I can do that any day of the week. All I have to do is just broaden my horizons ever so slightly beyond the realm of video games. I I want to, you know, I want to watch people who care about card games be upset about a thing. I could find that 15 minutes flat. I can find a reaction <laughs> video about it, about a man being way too angry about something and saying all these nouns that I don't know. But 
I don't. I think in both of our cases, mine and Andy's, is a, is a singular moment personal to us that will never be recreated in our lives. And indeed, in my case, never will be recreated in either of your lives because both of you are babies whose balls have been smashed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like the uh, intimacy of JJ's answer. I want to give it to him. I, I was gonna vote for Joker. <laughs> <laughs> But I think JJ now wins, I guess. Yeah. So, right. JJ hasn't won anything well, J- yet. And JJ he's been going with the win. different answers. His and I wanna wins. I wanna give it to him here. Yeah. Thank you for your pity. I'll keep that in mind when but I But it lets we all know that I really want. <laughs> but also Trico <laughs> was his first one. So he kinda came out the gate winning. I no. I, no oh, you, oh you discarded no. yours. I discarded mine because immediately it so because it was so much worse than Trico. Uh, is it yeah, my okay. turn or whose turn is it? It's JJ's turn. It is my it is my turn. To read a category. Give me the grand saber. Thank you. Today's category, and by today I mean right now, best set piece. So is there any more context that should be provided with best set piece? Uh, I had to ask what counted as a set piece for this one. I believe we all did. <laughs> I can't remember how we came down on it either. Uh, well, a complete mystery. I went with one that people call a set piece. I thought it was the safe bet. Was it... A chessboard in a video game? Let's find out. <laughs> All right. Nominees for best set piece from Chad. Call of Duty 4. I imagine a nuclear bomb exploded. That makes some sense. <laughs> Andy, What Remains of Edith Finch 4? My pick from What Remains of Edith Finch is Lewis's Suicide. Ooh. And my pick for for best set piece... An oldie but a goodie. The tree in the moon from Majora's Mask. I don't know if I can win anybody over to my side, as Mm -hmm. I know we don't have the biggest Call of Duty fans here. Mm -hmm. Uh, My argument for why this was such a good moment in the game uh, was because it's one of very few good moments in the game, Mm -hmm. uh, like from a narrative point of view. And it shows that the game is super, just does not care about killing you, the player, and removing you from the game completely. And uh, I find that like a real ballsy move in like a AAA shooter. So, I, and also like this, this is like a thing that garnered news attention. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to give it to it. But I will say that my second thing that I was going to put for this was the moon from Majora's Mask. So. Ooh, I also considered the moon but decided that i thought that was not a set piece and instead a location why what is the distinction in your mind because at least for me what's special about the moon inside the moon from majora's mask is the visual Mm -hmm. and you don't actually really do anything in it nor does anything really happen in that location for it to be defined as a set piece in my opinion I think you do as much, if not more, in the moon than you do in the nuclear bomb explosion in COD 4. Where you crawl. Yeah, in one se- <laughs> in one sequence you watch things and crawl. In my sequence, you watch things walk and speak to children. That's true. <laughs> Yours is more busy. <laughs> true. I'm specifically talking about the part where it goes full 3D. Like, you exit the cannery... And you're walking through the throne room up to the guillotine specifically. I like that moment a lot, and a lot of it it's is like, because you it go is... up the ramp mm-hmm. like you're a fish through the little flaps, mm-hmm. and 
its glorious splendor right in front of your yeah, face. They take you so far away, not only from the individual vignette that you're participating in, but also from pretty much any environment that the game has shown you up to that point, uh, or really will show you for the rest of it. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I think really comes close, and if I was choosing between best set piece and Edith Finch, it would really between be between this and walking on the like the low tide, uh, yeah. like ocean. But um, yeah, like that, and then like the jolt back to reality when the guillotine comes down. It's very good. It's a good good moment. Mm-hmm. It is. I, I think the moment in Edith Finch, in, at the end of that cannery, made a solid point that was an important point to make, like right now this year in gaming but it's it's one of those things where i feel like it was the end to a conversation that was needed but i don't feel like that moment is going to stick with me because it doesn't have the kind of thematic elements like it was interesting it was powerful when you were there especially in the reveal when you turn the corner to show that it is a guillotine but I, it, it's not going to stick in my mind. Like, I can barely remember what that throne, win, throne room looks like right now. I'm just feel imagining like, a throne room. I feel like that's a you thing. Of course it's a me thing. I, well, I, can no, only I, actually, I think that scene is, like, incredibly memorable. I think the scene is very memorable. I also don't really remember the... I don't remember the throne room the way that I remember the moon. Yes. Well, okay, that's... Yeah. That's, that's a weird sentence to say. It is. <laughs> but, th- but this is, in fact, the crux of my argument here, is that the moon is such an unexpected, such a unique moment in a game that has been up to this point mostly defined by reusing moments of past games. Something that we are still talking about now because of the impact that it had on people like 20 years ago at this point. I am, while I agree with you that both of these moments are fantastic, I don't think I'm going to be talking about the cannery sequence in 20 years. I will still maintain that... (laughs) A moment and a set piece are two different things. I think Inside the Moon and Majora's Mask is an incredible visual and moment, but will still forward the argument that nothing really happens there. I think even watching the nuclear bomb explosion from inside the helicopter is more happening than what happens inside the moon. Then then we are at a definitional impasse. Chad, have you been swayed? Well, yeah, I kind of already spoiled it. I'm going with the moon, but I think that you're uh, that that the the cannery sequence as a whole is probably one of my favorite moments in like favorite sequences of events in a game that I've played in the last couple of years. Yep. So uh, absolutely no disrespect to mm-hmm. the cannery, none. But the moon is my is is my childhood and my adulthood, <laughs> much like the protagonist Link. <laughs> quality quality uh i believe andy is next indeed yes. next category all right and the next category is best soundtrack uh man your handwriting <laughs> i was writing them very fast and aggressively um we can tell so <laughs> we played games with a lot of great music this year mm-hmm. so this is just a straight up legit category this does seem like, like a pretty uh, we wanted category. to go with a music category c- couldn't come up with anything cheeky so we were like <laughs> best soundtrack yeah we tried really it. hard and like the, all of them basically would. The cheekier we got, the more specifically about a single game it was always mm-hmm. going to be. So and this was the broadest way to address. And the nominees music. are. 
I can't believe this is the first time we've done this joke. I agreed. Celeste. Parentheses, not really. Persona 5. <laughs> Persona 5. Uh-huh. Ooh. And oh. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Okay. So Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, we're just going to come out because it is. Yes. You. Yes, it is. Uh, quantity, it's got it. It fucking ha it has every good song that's been written for a video game for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. I don't think I enjoy, with the exception of, and I know this is going to sound like a joke because of mm -hmm. what we've been doing so far this entire episode. Jokes, I believe they're called. But, like, one of my favorite Nintendo songs of all time is the theme for Super Mario Bros. 2. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, like, four versions of it in Smash Bros. Uh -huh. So that is great. Yes. But Persona 5 soundtrack is the best soundtrack, yeah. period. And I would also argue that like I think of Smash Brothers uh, soundtrack almost like I think of a licensed soundtrack. It's it doesn't really it's music from other games, not really the music from Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. It has music that is adapted, and I believe the quality of that music. It, it, it depends here. Are we trying to gauge the quality of the original composer, what they created from nothing, or are we trying to gauge the quality of the end result? without caring about how it came into existence because well, i think like both i would say well i because i'm saying like the amount that they improved for example cass's theme to make it like a smash brothers stage tons of songs plenty of songs we probably don't even know about had that treatment in this game like i've there's a bunch of fire emblem songs you guys don't give a shit about that i had <laughs> awesome goddamn remixes in this game and they gave that treatment to literally hundreds of songs. And I think the end result, the content that you get delivered after all of this is the best soundtrack this year. And granted, they probably had to do less work than the ground up than the people working on Persona 5. Mm -hmm. I think starting from nothing, Persona 5 is the winner here, but I don't think we should ignore how fucking awesome the Super Smash Brothers soundtracks have been for getting people into music from other games. I think of like the the soundtrack for Smash kind of in the way we think of like No Man's Sky where I feel like it's a incredible technical achievement but the fact that it, they are remixes of songs from other games really like because I don't want to, like, shit on it or anything. Yeah, no. Because it's, it's great, and it's impressive in its own right. It's impossible to I feel shit like, on the soundtrack. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm putting a lot of stock here in original soundtrack. Sure. And that's in, like, your personal vote. My thought process on this is I love the soundtrack to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I will never say anything about it. Taken as a whole, it's probably my favorite soundtrack of any game ever because it just contains every song that I like from every Nintendo game. Mm -hmm. And some not Nintendo games also. <laughs> here's the here's the rub, and here's why it actually ended up on number four on my list. Mm -hmm. uh, Celeste was number two, which is why I put it because I assumed everyone would just put Persona Five, mm -hmm. and No Man's Sky was actually my third. Ooh. My number one is how dare you? <laughs> the soundtrack for Persona for No Man's Sky is beautiful for the same now, reason. I can't believe that. Near is not in your top four. I know that's because the, it 
killed me to have to pick between Nier and Persona 5. Yep. I did, honestly yep. didn't even think about that. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I, I debated with myself for literal hours <laughs> about which one to pick over the other. Here's the reason why all of those games, in fact, that might bump Smash Brothers to 5 for me, because Damn. the reason that I think all of those games are better than the, than the ones that fell outside of it is that in the game... The soundtrack pulls so much more weight in Persona 5 and in No Man's Sky and in Celeste than it does in Smash Brothers. Fair. In Smash Brothers, you can choose a song for a stage, and at the end of the stage, I won't remember what song was playing. Yep. Uh, and that's sort of, that That was like what clinched it for yeah. me. Yeah. That is a and great there's, point. There's yeah. hundreds of songs, and people have the ability to just make only one song play on a stage <laughs> and never listen to 99% of it. You have to go to the songs in Smash Brothers. It doesn't pr- take the music and bring it to you. That's a fantastic point, and enough to get me on the Persona 5 train, enough to concede its victory in this category, even though I think Nier is better between the yeah. two still. I can't believe no one picked Nier. It was my second. Like, cause I, I had like the whole, like I was ready to talk about the, like yeah. <laughs> why I picked Persona over it. I don't think the new soundtrack carries as much weight uh, it, as weird as it is. The compositions overall, I think are as good, if not better in some cases. I think it's called Wretched Machinery. Like the, yeah. the song that plays in the city. Mm-hmm. Like I, Wretched Weaponry. Weaponry. That's it. Yeah. I fucking love that song. Like. I have like it's one of I think the music is one of the things that's kept near on my mind since we played it. Agreed. And it's been like almost a year ago. For yeah. sure. For sure. I just think that it had le- I'm not going to continue kicking this hornet's <laughs> nest. No. Uh, <laughs> and I love the news. I own it. It's great. I own it in two versions. Uh, a fantastic right, year for so tunes. Persona 5 year wins. For Persona 5 Victor. It's going to fucking knock over all of our expensive equipment. Yeah, do that. Yep. <laughs> Uh, this one I can't imagine any of us put the same two answers for. Uh, this is most unique single environment. Ooh. I tried to do it fast. It didn't work out. It worked out okay. It's open by some definition. It is open. All right. So, nominees are for Andy, Majora's Mask. Inside the Moon. Ooh. For, I love this. For JJ, Harvester. <laughs> the city and the game. So, oh, wow, yeah, actually, that's oh, very easy to write out. And for me, it is Monster Hunter World uh, for the Coral Highlands. Ooh. Oh, mm. Oh, God. My argument for the Coral Highlands originally was going to be whatever the fuck you guys chose you spend more time in and enjoy more of the visual of the Coral Highlands. Harvester, though, the whole (laughs) game takes place in the city of Harvest. So (laughs) I think that uh, at least matches it. Yeah, so I had originally considered Inside the Moon for Majora's Mask for best set piece, Mm -hmm. as we discussed. Interestingly, I considered this for best moment uh, when I thought it was in a game. So Yeah, and... As I thought about, as I was talking about when we were in that category, I think what stands out about it is the visual and the contrast of what you would think the inside of a moon would look like. Uh, and <laughs> it'd be much more different yep, now. And no, no. As yeah, and like we talked about on the Majora's Mass episode, it's like a it's like a surreal painting. It's like a fable. It's a, a myriad of things we all know. 
we've all experienced it. Uh, and it is the most unique single environment in a game. I'm this sorry. Year. I, I really do think we're going to have to bump up against definitional issues here. Because when I read <laughs> environment on our prompt, mm-hmm. I thought a, a prerequisite for that was it has to be not just a space, but a space that you spend a lot of time in. And you don't spend a lot of time in the moon. That's why I picked it for environment suggests that you have to spend a lot of time in it. That's what things do in environments. That's what an environment is. It's where things live. If, if, if it's Just not... because things spend a lot of time in environments, like in the real world, does not mean things have to spend a lot of time in it for it to be an environment. Is DiCarlo's Pizza your environment? It is an environment. Is it your environment? Not right now. <laughs> if I was at one, then yes. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm going to quash this debate yes. right now because even with that stipulation or without that stipulation, the Crow Highlands is like a living, actual environment. It is, yes. You really leaned into the prompt even more than I did, and I tried to lean into the prompt. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful place full of creatures in an environment and stuff to do yeah. and things to murder and make suits of armor <laughs> there's an incredible amount of uh, i don't know how to describe this it's like a beehive like it looks like a solid object but the, because you spend so much time there you see all the nooks and crannies of the coral highlands and not even in the video game way where like you find a path you didn't expect i mean literally like you stare at a piece of coral and appreciate in a new ways the shape of that coral and how that coral looks I really love that answer. The reason why I picked Harvester was because I felt like the entirety of that game was about interacting with the environment of Harvester. Like, so it's so fucking weird and so pervasively weird that the people you talk to oftentimes feel less like distinct individuals than they do representations of the madness of that place. Uh, So every time you talk with like a masturbating police officer, mm-hmm. I think beyond the masturbation in front of me and to the town in which I reside. And when I'm fighting a polo, <laughs> I am generally not thinking that much about where I am in the Coral Highlands. I think about it a lot when I'm walking, yeah. but not when I reach my destination. But every second in Harvester is another second you are reminded that you are in Harvester. Yeah. I like both of your answers, but they're kind of like the exact opposite of each other. Like, what makes yours good is that it's more like a realistic, real environment. Right. Whereas Harvest is a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what, what's crazy about that answer, though, so, is yeah. that I think that Coral Highlands is a is a more realistic environment, even though it is the most fantastical Mm-hmm. Of yeah, arguably has, all three. It has yes. a literal ecosystem within yeah. it. Right. Indeed. Whereas Harvester, which is the most realistic when you look at it, because you could be like, this is a map of a real town, and so to be like, cool. Mm-hmm. It also is the least realistic because nothing works the way that you expect it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the inside of the moon, I almost just... The only reason that I... Because I would rather revisit the moon <laughs> in every game <laughs> than I would come back to the Coral Highlands, but... It did already win. That's true. And it's it's smaller. And I, I it was a typo. It's biggest environment, Coral Highlands. 
<laughs> I actually don't know if the Coral Islands is bigger than Harvest. I, I don't know. I, it would be a lot of weird measurement things you'd have to get into there if you're talking about square footage. But I'll, I'll be willing to give square footage to the Coral <laughs> Highlands just on the assumption. Thankfully, I don't care about your your last minute like attempt <laughs> to sleek this legislation through on the No Clip podcast. So uh, do you want to call this one just a straight draw then? <laughs> I'm okay with this. As, as am I. Yeah. yeah. Hung jury. There is no winner. There's no most unique single environment. Yeah. There are only a, a spectrum of unique places to be in the magical world of video Disney. games. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> video games. That's what we do. God, I get this. Making me angry while you hand me a sword. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you got your favorite category. I did. And I'm I am blessed. No. <laughs> Because my category is most perfect for the switch. <laughs> I pronounced it as written. You, you read that actually pretty well. Thank most you. perfect for the soldier boy. And <laughs> it's the soldier game. Please. Whatever. Yeah, 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 it, is, it is the soldier game. He made different versions. You uh, yeah, know? no, I heard. Yeah. He also got a season to this. Yes, he did. Oh, man. And he was angry about it on Twitter in, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a blessed year. <laughs> now, it should be known. Uh oh, there's two here. Uh oh. Oh, here it is. Oh, oh man. We would have had to have mm-hmm. called off the whole event. A prerequisite to this category is we had to nominate games that were not already on the Switch. Yes. This is a hypothetical, this game would be great on the Switch moment. All right. Our Chad nomination M- Mother 3 Reggie? <laughs> Mother 3 Reggie? <laughs> What, what does that mean? Bring Mother 3 to the Switch. My actual answer is No Man's Sky, but I didn't want to give it away by writing it on the sheet of paper. I wanted to make my Mother 3 joke. Good for you, Chad. For Andy, Danganronpa V3. Killing some, Harmony. Killing, Killing Harmony. Something that was the harmony. type of harmony, yes. And my suggestion, Super Mario Serial. <laughs> to the Nintendo Switch. Disgust. <laughs> okay, I guess my argument for Danganronpa <laughs> is that it's a very long game. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like a trend uh, I've observed uh, in Japanese games is a lot of them will be designed for like short play sessions. Like play it on the bus because that's more of a cultural concern in Japan. Right. Uh, and I think Danganronpa is one of those games where if you had it on your Switch, you could pick it up and you could play through a chunk of it at once and not like if you're sitting on the couch you'll probably end up playing it all day long because it takes so long to get through like one section of it Mm -hmm. uh i think it would be perfect for the switch because it would make it more digestible and also see there are good stopping points in between like Mm -hmm. each of the mini games like even within the class trials and i even think it it would uh weirdly appeal to like a nintendo audience the grown-up nintendo audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the not so grown-up nintendo audience. yeah yeah it grown up all, in to body. all ages yeah, yeah. yeah. no uh, no yeah. <laughs> not, not that would have scarred me so bad if i played this when i was 13 <laughs> deeply scarred all right so my actual answer for this was no man's sky and i think that no man's sky is the is the perfect game to have something that is portable to play on because it is such a solitary experience there's no reason to always have to be 
like online or anything. Like mm-hmm. even though the game has those functions, I don't think it's necessary. And you could theoretically play No Man's Sky until the day that you die. <laughs> and I feel like games that you can just kind of pick up and carry around with you that are like that. This is the same way I feel about Monster Hunter. Uh is just like it makes sense in a portable form, and not only that, but like there's not the stopping points abundant because the, you're never really tied into doing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This it's probably just a personal thing, but for me, like the No Man's Sky's greatest appeal is its immersive quality, and I feel like if you take it on the go in handheld form, it loses all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like. I would find No Man's Sky like completely unengaging in handheld form. I already find it mostly unengaging, with the exception of the appeal Antti just described. So with that removed, speaking personally, if I wanted to waste my time on a pointless endeavor, I would just like <laughs> lick the windows of the bus that I was on right. and do other... Or play Flappy Bird or something. Yeah, at least yeah. you get some calories. <laughs> <laughs> at, least you, at least you digest something, whatever yeah. it is. But if you're the kind of person that's really into the game, mm-hmm. I, having it on the go would be great. Yeah, yeah. my, my thought process, because we, we talked about No Man's Sky. None of us really came away fucking, you know, roses on it. No. We, uh, we all thought it had flaws and we none of us found it to be as engaging as it would have to be in order to keep it like as a mainstay of your gaming life mm-hmm. but if you were that kind of a person i think it's the game that we talked about that benefits most from the additional portability all right make a case for cereal <laughs> okay well you see i would like to point out even against my own description of the category as part of this continued ruse that i was merely asked to describe what would be the most perfect for the switch there was no game requirement as initially listed to me <laughs> I kept it within podcast bounds for your sake, but Mm -hmm. I can play tons of video games on the Nintendo Switch. Some of the best video games ever made in human history. I cannot sustain myself physically with the Switch, and I feel like the Switch has such an incredible library at this early in in its cycle that I don't need to gorge myself on more perfection. I want to gorge myself on cereal, like physical sustenance that will allow me to to spend more time with the Nintendo Switch without having to leave it. How is the cereal on the switch or for the switch (laughs) it would attach to the back of the switch consider the kind of peripherals that were created in the old days how do you conveniently get it from the back of the switch to your face without spilling it everywhere tilt do you you remember how oh so it has to be dry cereal Because no, mm, no. okay then how are you not spilling milk everywhere ruining your switch this is a lot of of uh it, it's much ado about nothing yes. because I have wow. the trump card. Uh huh. It's already on the Switch. What? Super Mario Cereal is an amiibo. Oh, Super Mario, ooh. Ooh, Super Mario ooh. Cereal. Ooh. Oh, my God. Mate. <laughs> oh, my God. Get I don't know dunked. what it does. Get dunked on. <laughs> but it is in every box of Super Mario Cereal is an amiibo. It says it on the box. <laughs> Fuck. Get dunked on. Been defeated. 
Uh, but now you can king make between. I can, yeah. And fuck No Man's Sky yeah, so many like... different ways. I don't like your choice either, frankly. I didn't like Danganronpa Rampa that much. But well, wouldn't I, it be better on the Switch? It'd be though? better than No Man's Sky, and it, I don't even think it necessarily be better on the Switch. It'd be better during the daytime moments. And while I agree, the mini games of the trials like are in themselves amenable to like short chunks of play. Mm-hmm. I don't think the trials themselves are part of the thing. The things that I enjoyed about the trials is keeping the whole logic puzzle in my head and all the information that's been revealed, and I would lose that in five-minute chunks. The majority of the game is not the trials. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying so this for the cost. So you, you, you play through the day sections on the go, just little bits at a time. Mm-hmm. When you hit a trial, pop it into the dock, play it on the TV. Oh, fuck. It's not all handheld, yeah. But, I mean, would I really want to have a... This, this category is not most improved on the switch this category is most perfect, perfect for, for the, the switch <laughs> and i you what i have that de- sounds pretty perfect to me oh, it, what i have described one part you, of it benefits from handheld one part benefits from tv but not when you want it to happen the game is telling but you imagine when, imagine you hit, no you, hit, you hit right before the trial uh in between classes and you're giddy to get home pop it in the dock play it on that tv this too is much ado about nothing i am whinging about the quality of the alternatives who have been presented here i i agree between the options presented uh the thing that isn't No Man's Sky is the clear winner <laughs> and that is Danganronpa v killing harmony i think the actual winner here is mother three <laughs> reggie please yes bring it to the states put it on the switch it's what we need reggie localize it yourself and put it on the switch he can code right reggie can code i don't know probably he uh, can yeah. do anything yeah reggie's he he was once a robot that killed a woman he was he was all right <laughs> your handwriting man our next category is most unexpected shift in tone truly love this category i will finally get to seriously talk about one of these games Ooh. Mm-hmm. i actually had a hard time with this one i did too actually and it wasn't really a glut of choices so much and the nominees are celeste persona 5 prostitute scene <laughs> and i put near Ooh. Now, what scenes in Nier and Celeste specifically did each of you guys think was the, the turning point? Mm, I don't know if I can remember that specifically, but for me, I knew nothing about Nier mm-hmm. before going into it, and it ended up being so not what I expected, which is why I picked it. And what did you expect? It I have A platinum game. Mm-hmm. And it so clearly <laughs> does not feel at all like a platinum game. I was not expecting the story to actually be like good and intriguing and like existential and philosophical in a good way and not in a pretentious way. I feel like the Switch, for near, at least for me, because this was another one that I considered as well, mm-hmm. was uh, basically between endings A and the start of the second chapter, mm-hmm. because you be, you play through a whole video game as one character, and then they go, now do it again as a different character. Now you have like a different perspective. Mm-hmm. I think the tone, this is why I didn't pick it, I think the tone arguably stays pretty similar throughout 9S's playthrough, but it more naturally shifts into like it's it, like whatever its end form is which i don't necessarily really want to spoil on this 
like non-near episode. Uh-huh. But uh, so I agree that it shifts in tone, but I don't think it was as unexpected because of how natural it was. Mm-hmm. Also, I did definitely write most unexpected. Yeah, <laughs> I almost read it that way. Uh-huh. But. Uh, the reason I chose Celeste was. Uh, because it dramatically, suddenly had a tone that I didn't expect going in. So I, you play through, we talked about this on the episodes, you yeah. play through a little bit of the game, and you're getting your footing, literally and figuratively, and you kind of figure out how it works mechanically. You're introduced to sort of a mysterious Harbinger-type character at the beginning, but you don't really know what's going on. And then you hit the point where... Basically, your main character goes, I have depression and came to the mountain to try and, like, overcome my inner demons. Mm-hmm. And to me, that hit, that's where I was just like, this game has shit to say. And then it starts to say it. And that I thought it was very effective and I really liked. So, is going from no tone at all to a tone a shift in tone? I see your point. Because I, I, once I, it establishes that tone, it doesn't waver on it. Ooh, that is that is good. I feel like the shift comes... And it comes pretty early, too. It is very early. I, the shift comes not from no tone. I don't think it's accurate. I don't think it's possible for a game to have no tone. But I, I think Celeste's initial tone that it is shifting from is, like, just... And I, I say this just with big quotes. Like, a twee riff on classic two-day platformers. You go in sort of almost similar to like the early, early days of Undertale, thinking that it is kind of just nothing but a curiosity. But like you, like a lot of people went in Celeste because it was like, oh, this platform is so hard. And then the game gave them a life lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I think qualifies as a shift. I, one problem I have with both of your submissions, which I don't think are, is disqualifying, but I do think is worth mentioning, is that I feel like a lot of the shift that both of these games accomplish, Nier in your case and Celeste in your case, Chad, is a shift between the expectations of the player and the game itself ends up being, not a shift in tone within what the game is saying, like you said about Celeste. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like both of these games rest and excellently really subvert player expectations before the game starts and maybe a little bit after it starts going into it. Uh, so let's let's address the lipstick wearing elephant <laughs> in the room. <laughs> the prostitute scene in Persona Five. Persona Five spent five, ten. I don't even remember how long the first palace is in mm-hmm. hours. It's a long time. It's a long time, doing nothing but a plot line about like how damaging sexual exploitation can be, and like why, and, and even not even like in a like a sex negative way, like in a sex positive, empowering way telling people to like take control of who they are and don't let them be abused by exploitive people. Uh, And then immediately like next (laughs) goddamn scene in the play, every male character, including the protagonist who you are supposed to have some form of agency over, just appears in a place to go, oh man, we're good. let's get a prostitute. Let's get this made. And the entire scene is predicated on like, oh, we want a prostitute real bad. Isn't this funny? They want a prostitute. They really need that prostitute. It is It is something that neither of your submissions are, which is, the, which is the game literally being inconsistent with itself. It's not a shift in tone that sends a message. It's just a shift in tone that is abrupt and makes no sense. Admittedly, I thought you were talking about something in the confidant relationship with 
uh, your teacher? No, no, it was not. But it was the scene where they ordered... Okay. It was the start of that relationship. Uh, you clearly had some building there. Not really. I was just thinking of a rebuttal. Okay. Mm-hmm. I do have one. Go for and it. And that is that I don't think... I think that it, in fact, does not shift in tone and maintains its tone where it is a tone that is about... Or rather, it's a message mm-hmm. about sexual freedom mm-hmm. and that people should have the choice to be as sexually active and seek the sexual partners that they want as opposed to being forced into any sort of either literally by force or by societal norms. Mm -hmm. And I think that the game actually sheds kind of a positive light on the idea of prostitution as an industry more so than it does uh, diminish it. Like, because the people who specifically call out your teacher for being a uh, for for you know being in the sex business, mm-hmm. they call her a sex worker, like a woman of the night, that kind of shit. Yeah, is are people who are like then portrayed as not in in one case they legitimately turn into monsters and you shoot them to death. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a pretty damning uh, <laughs> take on those people's moral yeah. values, and also like the idea to like get to the prostitute is Ryuji's idea, which is very within his character. Right, but you have no ability to disagree, and that side character guy also Mishima, comes along. Yeah. And Mishima's also around for the party. He's just jumping at the bit to get in on the situation. See, that feels like Mishima like also a... hangs out in the red light district in the game. That's okay. true. Clearly a horn dog. I also feel like it's more of a byproduct of being an RPG that you can't just say no to going to the prostitute scene. In, not a RPG, Persona like, 5 RPG, though. I mean, not in Persona 5. In tons of RPGs, this would be like an Easter egg that would be optional if you went on a certain quest path. Mm-hmm. It was not that in this game. It was part of the main quest that introduced you to the confidant relationship to then have the option to pursue or not. I, I think your take, Chad, very strong anti-take on my positive take. <laughs> but I, I don't think... I would agree with you if the game portrayed the situation that your teacher was in as a neutral or positive situation, but it does not. Like, I'm a-okay with prostitution. Prostitution, up up my alley. Love them. Great. (laughs) (laughs) But but that woman seems like she really hates her life and that she's in an awful circumstance because of a bunch of lies and conniving from people behind her to put her in a situation where she has to be here. And it const- the game constantly portrays the way she acts when she is prostituting as like overtly false and fake as a way to, to kind of, in a somewhat intellectually interesting way, kind of make fun of the whole culture surrounding the whole maid thing, which I, I'm positive about. But the point is, is that I don't think it was, they portrayed the actual act of prostituting as an empowering act, regardless of what our opinion on the matter is. I would also argue I'm, that every like service industry job requires you to present yourself in a fake manner. Yeah. <laughs> I also would say it's it presents it as a neutral thing. I think if it puts it on the same level like, as working at a burger joint, then I think that they're kind of positive on it. I yeah, don't like, think it, it, it's never shown that like being a prostitute's doing anything than just she's overworked, she's tired. She's True. never actually like in danger okay. or like ha- like you know, she's just like, ah, oh, 
I hate that I have two jobs. It's right. not, oh, it's demoralizing to be a prostitute. You know, That is a great point, Andy. It absolutely, the game does present being a prostitute as roughly equivalent to any other min, like minimum wage work mm-hmm. at the time and is not actively degrading to it. In that case, I will accept that the game is neutral on prostitution up to that point and combined with Chad's line of reasoning, I will concede the Persona 5 prostitution scene as a contender. I'm willing to switch my answer to Nier for the sake of time. All right. <laughs> Nier wins. <laughs> Who's like, next? This is the one that I get. Exciting. Oh, what is that one, Chad? This one that I get is sexiest man or non-humanoid character. We all know games do a lot to sexualize women mm-hmm. and to present them in uh, an appealing male gaze type light. And when I say, shocker, I created this category because that it was funny. Uh, but when I say humanoid character, I mean humanoid in shape, which means like... Not in characteristics. Yeah, yeah. No like fish people who are clearly meant to be attractive. I mean like if, if it's non-human, it's got to have like multiple limbs, like eight limbs or more. Okay. Yeah. Somebody is putting down the correct answer. <laughs> Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. And it wasn't me. Thank you. Uh, so the wrong answer that I put is Steve from Smash. Er, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, pers- I sorry, I want to smash Steve is what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Uh, we have Persona 5. That's a game, Andy. And uh, I, I, I told everyone to write the game. Yes. We didn't do it. Uh, I would have forgotten. Yes, chat. Joker, every woman that he meets and forms a relationship with him is into him. This is true. Mm-hmm. He is like almost objectively sexy, but not as sexy as Mr. Game, <laughs> my me brawler from Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, as submitted by JJ and not me. <laughs> I will put forth that Mr. Game is an old man. Uh, yes. An old man Your that has really taken care of himself. To hey, be able to uh, he's splits. really past his prime. Maybe Mr. Game in like from Melee. <laughs> Maybe then. No, you Mr. are missing, Game from Ultimate. Mm. You are missing the fundamental mystery of Mr. Game, which is that Mr. Game manages to get stronger as he ages with no plateau or downturn. Every iteration of Mr. Game is a more muscular, more powerful, faster version of the game that came before. I also don't know offhand if I'm going to be killing this suggestion or giving it the lifeblood it needs to win. (laughs) But Mr. Game technically is me. (laughs) It is using my me. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have bulging muscles or a sexy beard, Chad. I'm sorry. I also cannot do multiple flips in a row without landing. The beard is fake. Indeed. It's a fake beard. Uh, Mr. Game's beard is fake. Hmm. Okay, let me lay down it the is law a costume of why, that he can Smack, change. why Steve is a sexy character, though. Okay. Steve, Steve from Harvester, which you still have not said You're this right. whole it is, time. Sorry, it is Steve from Harvester. Yes. And my argument here is that in Persona 5, yes. women want him, guys want to be him, cats follow him around even. Like, Joker is a personable, charismatic, and attractive person. Mm-hmm. Yes. However, not so attractive that the game designers ever decided we need to, needed to see an actual sex scene featuring him. <laughs> Steve, you can have sex every single day. <laughs> but <laughs> Persona 5, they had the confidence and the subtlety that they didn't need to show it. They knew that it was sexier if left to your imagination. Okay. 
my that's only true if he's not sexy between the non mr game candidates who are wrong uh if if i believe when we talked about this category when we're talking about who is the sexiest non-human character that is not from the perspective of the people in the game that is from the perspective of us outside of the game and if i had to evaluate joker i think joker is intentionally so a hollow person with very little personality. <laughs> if you gave me a list of all the things Joker had said, I w- it would be not interesting to me in any way. If you if you had a list of that's the things still that better Joker than Joker has said, though. and the list of th- of things that Joker has had sex with, uh-huh. that list would actually be longer. <laughs> yes, he only has like four lines mm-hmm. in in all game. Mm-hmm. Joker looks sexy. No, mm-hmm. no doubt about yeah, it. He can be anything you want him to be. Mm-hmm. And that's really the dichotomy that I'm working with here is yeah. that Steve not in that phys- Phantom Thieves outfit. <laughs> Steve is not physically sexy. I think you've got to concede this. No, he's not even really fit. No, no. no he's, he's, and he doesn't have a good personality either. He has an acceptable personality. Mm. His personality is a thousand times better than every single person that he interacts with. <laughs> That's true, but, but irrelevant, irrelevant. Being good by comparison isn't good. Yeah, that's true. But he didn't know that he had to get better. <laughs> he only got to the point. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I would it's rather kind of take justice. He always was a kid. I'd rather take a sexually active everyman than like a hollow shell of a person. A sexually to me active by a everyman is also a description of Joker. He's not an Joker is not an everyman. No, he is not. He is a he's a, he's a specific man. He is like a <laughs> super powered, like chosen one well, man. He ha, he is not the average Joe. He is Kirk. instead a vessel. Whatever. He is instead a vessel <laughs> through which that you, the player, are supposed to feel sexy. Yeah. And once you are out of that So suit, I'm saying I'm the sexiest man. <laughs> kind of. Kind and of. he's saying that I'm the sexiest man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh. So I'm going to side with JJ on this and give it to Mr. Game. <laughs> I'm going to have to include a picture of Mr. Game <laughs> <You> also. <laughs> <laughs> crucial. Crucial photograph of Mr. Game. But, like, what you were saying, Andy, from yes. my perspective, nominating Joker as sexiest man would be like nominating the power armor from fallout as like best engineer like it's not <laughs> there's nothing in there it's just a thing that you act upon mm, but <laughs> he is the most sexually active character and does like commander riker's sexual activeness not make him a sexier man uh, you are that is i <laughs> I win. <laughs> no, I was I was stopping myself for podcast wording for easier editing time for Chad. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Is that what they call it? That is what they call it. Okay. I think as a as a disingenuous comparison, because Riker is extremely sexy both within and outside of the fiction of Star Trek. That's true. But Joker's a fictional character that can't exist outside of the fiction of Persona. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. I mean but <laughs> Steve is not. If my, that's true. Steve's a real person. That's Steve's not what a I real mean. guy. <laughs> you can fuck Steve. <laughs> Isn't he in jail? Is he alive? <laughs> I don't know the whereabouts of Didn't Steve. Didn't you tell me, like, not that long ago... He might be in jail. ...that there was a mugshot of him and he was wearing the shirt from the game? 
or a similar shirt. Could have been a Photoshop. Also, it could have been a okay. Yeah. We can look fair. it up. We don't know how we, if it's legit at all. We could be defaming a very obscure person right now, <laughs> um, dude. Uh, Steve, come defend yourself on our podcast. Yeah. No public figure defenses in our case for Steve from Harvester. <laughs> Court will not accept that. I forget what I was gonna say. Uh, to end this, Steve wins. All right, Steve's the winner. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Was there an envelope? Thank you. Uh, oh wait, actually. Who just read that? I just read that one. Yeah. So this one is yours, which means that you get the finale. Oh, yeah. The next category. The penultimate category. Indeed. Oh. Is a, is a wordy one. It is. It, it is a great category full of lots of energy and smartness. Game that made us cry like little babies, sissy babies who don't even lift. I may have added some words there because <laughs> Chad wrote a B. Some fr- it, he put little big sissy babies. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's supposed to just be cry like little sissy babies. Oh yeah, he did. I thought that was an A, like it was an abbreviation Bia. for babies that he misspelled. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. I see. I added multiple additional words, and you'll just never know which ones. You, you well, yeah. you know one of them at I, least. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, game that made us weep like sissy children. Yes. This is the current category. Our contenders from Andy, Celeste. (laughs) From Chad, Celeste. From myself, Celeste. Our first unanimous absolute no contest. We did it, guys. Yes. We did. Uh, I guess just to say a few words. Uh Uh, On behalf of Celeste. As we uh, had briefly gotten into before. Uh, Celeste is a game of it's stories about depression and coping with it, getting over it, conquering it, however you want to say it. With Bennett Foddy. Uh, and yes, with Bennett Foddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it it portrays it in a really realistic and genuine way, and it is it it comes as an unexpected uh, occurrence. You don't expect it to like the narrative to be as effective as it is. Do you notice how the tone of our podcast immediately shifted into like this very serious, like deep? This is the effect that Celeste has had upon had upon us. Like I am resisting tears every day since playing that game, including this moment while discussing it, and it is worthy of your time. And if we consider it all things like together, the other contenders to go up against Celeste in that area uh, include like What Remains of Edith Finch, which is a very affecting and emotional game. Things like Persona and Nier have their moments, mm-hmm. uh, though, like, sort of the production of them makes it difficult to sort of connect on as much of a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to give a... Per- and I think Celeste does a really good job, but I think it's it does kind of an even job with those. So I want to give a shout-out to that fucking level where you have to jump up through that tiny little gap. Uh <laughs> That that almost made me actually cry mm-hmm. because For of the, yeah because it's just a really hard game <laughs> so that combined really made Celeste the clear winner absolutely yes. I totally interpreted that that prompt in a way that I thought we might cry out of pain and suffering that a game caused us <laughs> right and Celeste it succeeds in both yeah. yep shout out to Edith Finch though because I probably would have won any other year indeed all right and to end it all on. Best of 2018. Here we go. <sighs> this is a... Li- this drum is roll, a li- Chad the drummer. Drum roll, please. Sorry. And the nominees are... Chad nominates Monster Hunter World. Big surprise. <laughs> uh, I nominate 
Nier Automata. Ooh. And JJ nominates. Why'd you have to make your slips of paper so small? I'm very sorry. Uh, nominates Hollow Knight. Okay, I think we have to agree here going in I, mm-hmm. that Monster Hunter World is the. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> we have to agree going in here that this one, this category does not get a winner. We just, like, because I'm not going to convince either of you that Monster Hunter is better than either of those games. Mm-hmm. And probably the same for everybody else. Right. Yeah, so we just want to all say a piece on our game. Right. Like, why did you choose Nier as your favorite game from 2018 that uh, we talked about on the podcast? Yes. Uh, <laughs> as I kind of started to get into while talking about it for some other category I've forgotten by now. Um <laughs> I didn't know anything about this game. I had heard of the original and kind of thought it was like a standard RPG. Uh, And it just took me by surprise in like every way. Uh, And the narrative was very effective. The music's fantastic. Uh, And it's one of those games that like felt so unique to anything else like in its genre or like anything else that's come out recently or maybe even ever um that it just really made an impression on me and it incorporates like action uh elements with shoot 'em up stuff and it's always switching things up and it's just really stuck in my memory and it's my favorite game we played this year i agree with that it, all all <laughs> contenders here are worthy in their own unique ways. Except Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Hollow Knight is a game that encapsulates every possible appeal that I look for in the video games that I play. And I believe d- succeeds so broadly at what it tries to accomplish that it does that for every reason that virtually everyone plays games. Hollow Knight is a the type of game that has been so rare to me, like since all the way back toward I'm going to say like Metroid Prime One, where it's the kind of game that I feel like I could rec- I could recommend to virtually anyone I know who actually like plays games and has controller competency, and I say that knowing about the difficulty and difficulty be damned. I think I would recommend Hollow Knight. I'm assuming much to your shock. Before I recommend any Dark Souls game to any of my friends. I, well, that's not surprising. Dark Souls is not for everyone. <laughs> Clearly. A lot of people really feel the same way about Hollow Knight. Uh, I also do, but say your piece. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> Hollow Knight is visually beautiful while also being visually unique. Hollow Knight has you explore those unique areas over a comically long period of time. Hollow Knight is ludicrously cheap for all the things that it accomplishes and has, even since we our review of it, has added more and more to the game in a way that genuinely makes it better and adds more unique elements to it. Hollow Knight has a story that is hard to grok, but worthwhile to grok. You can get lost in the lore of Hollow Knight in a way that I never expected to going in. It is challenging. It will test you in a way that is optional. Not a test that makes you feel bad after you fail, but a kind of test like in so many of these Metroidvania games where you pick the challenges when you are ready and you choose how long you beat your head against them until you succeed. And especially in the present, after the most recent DLCs, 
Hollow Knight will scale up to be as difficult as you need it to be to feel like you've had a fulfilling experience. For me, that was the Radiance. For you, that might be beating every fucking boss in the game with increased damage and Steel Soul mode six times or something. Like, the game is exactly what it needs to be for so many different people. And more importantly, honestly, than all of that, the emotional core that I did not expect from Hollow Knight, which I think is mostly represented in the way that the City of Tears kind of evolves over time with your understanding of the setting and the music, not just in the game as, uh, as a whole, but in City of Tears specifically, is going to, I believe, as I said on the podcast, stay with me forever. Chad. Monster Hunter World. <laughs> Enter the new world with what? No. Um, okay. So the thing with Monster Hunter World is actually very similar to the piece that you gave on Hollow Knight. Monster Hunter World is my version of the game that does everything that I play games to do. Mm-hmm. And it, in addition to just being like a cool game where you fight big monsters, which is uh, the best. <laughs> I love just sort of the the way that Monster Hunter works, which is it rewards you so much more for knowledge and just knowing what to do in every situation and what tools will help you and knowing spreadsheets that you can just rattle off after reading everything and, like, marking it all down and building things, being creative and being, like, all of, you know, all, all of the planning and thought processes that go into playing a fight in Monster Hunter all surmount the actual skill in your combat. Like, and the slow, like, reaction-based combat is also my preferred form of 3D combat generally, and Monster Hunter does that well and then adds a bunch of shit on top of it that I also enjoy. There are a lot of games that do similar things that I dislike, because they don't coalesce in the way that Monster Hunter does. When you finish the thing in Monster Hunter, you feel like, I really finally figured out what I needed to do to destroy that giant Tyrannosaurus. Whereas, like, other games, you have, like, a fucking sphere grid that you just need to figure out how to get through to beat, like, regular wimpy-looking enemies. And that doesn't gel with me as well as sort of, like, the visual and mechanical coming together into making you feel like you've overcome insurmountable odds. And Monster Hunter Row gets uh, bonus points because I probably would say that Monster Hunter 4 was my favorite game in the series, but going back to them after playing World is, like, almost impossible for me. So we've hit the easiness point that I like mm. where I don't have to, like, make a literal Excel spreadsheet or use a tool in order to make armor sets. So You heard it here first. You want to be your game of the year? Some spreadsheets. Not too many spreadsheets. Minimal spreadsheets. And I'm only like 20% joking about that. Like, I actually want some spreadsheet. Some spreadsheet. A little bit of spice. That would have won game best played with a notepad as well. Yeah, that was one of our categories that we cut. A good year for gaming, gentlemen. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Everyone's applauding me because I chose not to applaud. Mm -hmm. Uh, Such a (laughs) nonconformist. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for listening to the No Clip Awards. Uh, let us know what you thought about our categories. Maybe suggest some categories for next year if we choose to do this again. 
you know, uh, give us your nominations. Uh, you can obviously think outside of our podcast if you want to. Uh, what are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap. Until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or splattershot.pro. And uh, there you can find all of our old episodes, episodes of our new-ish show, No Clip Pocket, uh, which are shorter, and we'll probably be posting one in like a week, I think? Probably. Yeah, a week or two? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, links to our YouTube channel, our Twitter, uh, iTunes, and Google Play. Subscribe to us, leave a review. Do the no clip awards of your own, where the one category is what's the best no clip podcast, and the answer is the no clip podcast. Uh, what is the best button to smash? It's that like button. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Everyone have a safe evening. I assume you drank a lot of cocktails at this award show. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that your valets are also sober. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Everybody on mute, and let's do an actual sound test that I can listen to. Right. After all the settings have been adjusted. Is this the real life? (laughs) Is this just fantasy? Super Mario Brothers Brothers (laughs) 2. You want something you can listen to? There you fucking go. (laughs) 